and the herd ran in fear. And the dark ones, children of the worm, walked the streets in the day. I turned my head from the sight. The phoenix told me, this is as it shall be, but not as it should. The phoenix left me then. Now I cannot dream. I can only remember the signs, each one in perfect detail. These are the last days. May Gaia have mercy on us. 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade presents Werewolf the Apocalypse, a review podcast. Hey everybody and welcome back to 25 Years presents Werewolf the Apocalypse, the reviews. And of course, naturally today we are finishing out our Book of the Worm, first edition. And the last time we did Pentex, and, and before that, we kind of just set up the book as a whole, uh, diving into some very interesting topics about the worm. But today, we're going to deal with the worm's home. That's right. We're going to start off with actual Malpheus. And of course, accompanying me today, as always, is Nick. Nick, how are we doing? Uh, I think we're doing well so far. Let's keep it up. So far. And that's, that says there might be a deep dive here, <laughs> uh, go the opposite direction of so far. Uh, we say that in humor, naturally, but uh, Nick... We talk about Malpheus, we talk about the Worm's Home. What, what are folks referring to? Like people listening, what, what is a Malpheus? You know, so I, 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 I came at Malpheus from, from a different perspective, you know, going back like forever ago, where I always imagined Malpheus was kind of going to be like, like Oblivion was in, uh, you know, in Wraith or like, um, you know, kind of like a, what you would expect the, uh, the Abyss to be or, or whatever. Like Malpheus was just going to be like that, that dark hole at the center of, of whatever pit, you know, or the, the at the center of whatever spiral. So coming to it and reading up on Malpheus, it kind of it kind of shook me in a different way. I was like, oh wait, this is more like uh, you know, like a, a, its own individual realm for the worm, right? It's like its own special place instead of trying to be like more than it was. You know, it was uh, it, it basically is the home where all the bad things or the worm corrupted things exist, and you know. It, produce their machinations but if, if you're like me <clears throat> that made little sense right it's just the place where all the bad originates from well they said more than that right they said that it's you got to be in the deep umbra to find malpheus is where it sits and that this place is a the home of the worm that's that's quoted it says it right there right yeah but at the same time later on it talks about that this is just one of the centers of the worm's power right so it's not even where it completely resides it's like uh one of his houses in the Netherlands, right? He's just he's just he's just that type of loot. The worm just has evil centers <laughs> he's got where he a house chooses. In the Netherlands, <laughs> yeah, who knows? I don't know. I felt like he was pimping it out, right? Like he's like, I got this place called Malpheus. Everybody knows where that is. That's cool. But I got some other places. No one need to be known about. I got I got I got bills. I owe some debts, some back taxes on some kids. The worm's laying low. Is what I'm saying. That's that's what it seemed like he was doing. I was like, okay, a bit confusing. But jokes aside. If we know it's deep umber, that's where it has to exist. All right, the deep umber is like furthest than the you know the near umber and all that jazz. It's not the Earth's reflection exactly at this point. We're far out in the weeds. Um, only get there by an anchor head on top of it. Yeah, which is might as well be the uh, the airport hub for umbral travel. And since that's the case, all right, so it's it's pretty hard to get to in a dark and, and mystic place. However, the book outlines how it's not hard to get to. Yeah, you know, almost like a. You can get there from all kinds of different places. And that's because the worm has a strategy. And that strategy is it wants to branch out and spread its, its icky sticky everywhere. 
It wants a little piece of it in every realm it can touch. And it, you know, through its agents, it rewards them heavily if they get to corrupt another area. And that does create a pull back to Malpheus. And from any of those corrupted realms and regions, you can get back to Malpheus. It's probably one of the easier places to get to in the Deep Umbra because it's so pervasive. So I like to like to akin this to a poor man's understanding of how internet be, right? Um, the the <laughs> right. Seriously, you'll you'll laugh here. I know it's your thing, but I often see it as like signal strength, right? If Malpheus is the place, then the worm's trying to get worldwide, right? He's trying to get everywhere. Oh, yeah. uh, with that corruption, and so he's finding all sorts of ways to maximize that signal. And he's and we'll we'll get to more of those places to make those worm towers. <laughs> To expand the spirit world to corrupt accordingly. www.malpheus.com. <laughs> right. You heard it but here he ha- first. <laughs> <laughs> but he has to corrupt. It has to corrupt that new spiritual realm to get there, which of course is the overriding plan. Essentially, the worm's playing games with Gaia, making it to where instead of hitting her head on, which is a big titanic fight, yeah. it's looking to make it to where she has less places to hide. Yeah. So that when that fight comes, it's positive, it's winning. And that's that's really the goal. It's why the apocalypse is insidious, in my opinion. How many times have you looked at this book and read it where it seems the guru believe the worms over here kill it? And, uh, and that's it. That would be every time um, that, that you read anything where the guru uh, view the worm. Oh, there it is. Go kill it. But you read about the bad guys and what they're doing is eh, it's great. They got that one guy. We've made more. <laughs> and while they got that one guy, <laughs> we made this whole state over here that, that people weren't paying attention to. We now took Wyoming. No one knew how important it was to Gaia. We did. Yep. We now have that. Shh. Tell no one. And, it, and and all these plans extend from Malpheus, but we still don't know what Malpheus is other than a spiritual place that apparently is the home of the worm. It's one of its centers. And we also know it's a, well, it says it's a reflection of the worm's nature. Now we're getting to understand what this realm is, a reflection of the nature of the worm. That's scary stuff, right? We know it's like the, the incarna of primal beastly war thing, right? We talked about that. It's, it's incredibly destructive, but uses corruption as a tool as well. And that makes it to where, okay, now we need to see what else is here. The book does an interesting thing. It describes stuff, sort of. <laughs> and what I mean by that, as you read it, any one person can read this book and get a different idea in their head as what Malpheus might be. I feel that's intentional, that they wrote it to be enough for you to paint your own picture of exactly of a layout or look that you want to give, because they give you themes and ideas and uh, some descriptor. Uh, to wet your whistle, to allow you to take it the rest of the way. Because I'm not convinced that the the mind of the worm is not somehow an amalgam of uh, of that primal, corruptive, destructive power. Like, it corrupts you as well to be there. What you see as, as you go there might not necessarily be what someone else is there. That's why the book focuses on landmarks that you can encounter in there to let you know you might be in the right place. In other words, it's a mystery uh, for a lot of folks, because you're never necessarily supposed to be there. But if you do, here's what one may encounter. Yeah, and, and a clever storyteller obviously is going to paint that brush with the paint that's that's forged out of the depravity and uh, and horror show of all their players. I mean, let's let's be realistic. You want that to be something that cuts deep on your players. Otherwise, why even take them there? And absolutely. And they point out here also that this realm has hell elements as well. Like to look at Mafia, she could tell its origination was something like uh, like maybe they were inspired by Dante's Inferno <laughs> or some some interesting artwork. Uh, depicting hell that they caught or a book or something because they establish a hierarchy right here in Malpheus that's very similar. Yeah. And on top of that, just like in, in the, the, the sick and twisted way that they, that they describe uh, Malpheus, it, it almost sounds like a Hieronymus Bosch painting 
right? Where it's just all kinds of weird depravity and machinations happening all over the place. And it seems to be utterly chaotic, except for, you know, the, the sole part where the, the few things that seem to make sense are, you know, those forms of the, of the triadic worm taken into place. There's suffering over here and there's, there's plague over here. And there's just, right. you know, all those different aspects come to fruition. And somehow it's all in the same pot and you're not sure what soup you're drinking. You just know it don't taste good. It's a weird mix. Now, we're going to put a pin in, in Malfius here, because we're going to go a little deeper into that. But first, let's understand uh, how does the worm have other places? How does it increase its signal strength in the spirit world, as I've said? And let's talk about blights for a second. Now, just to, just to kick it right, blights in this book point out that their physical representation in the real world, these are slums, like housing projects and rundown neighborhoods and impoverished neighborhoods that get no attention or care uh, from, from the community, except for the people who have to survive there. Right. And those who survive there aren't necessarily arm in arm, but they're not necessarily violent to one another either. And uh, but that does happen. Life of the streets is real. And in the world of darkness, it's even more insidious. And because of that, that leaves an energy. It's an important thing to understand the spiritual representation that the that werewolf is pushing. When these places exist, for instance, you could sidestep that's going across into the umbra that werewolves can do uh, when they get there. The Umbra landscape is supposed to be a reflection of the real world. However, if those buildings there in this uh, in this uh, impoverished neighborhood do not have any energy to them, any spiritual energy whatsoever, they're not going to show up here. It's going to be only those buildings that have this immense um, emotion and not to the good. This focuses on blights and what's not to the good. We're referring to like a crack den or a place where a dealer has done some very dark things, uh, not just selling drugs, but maybe um we i don't need to get into that you can look that up for you to understand the life on dealers do bad things okay um, gangs are not a good thing and this stuff goes on but they also feed uh an entity there are spirits that come here called banes that feed in these folks to do it and what's interesting in a blight is that it can look like a mini city right and what i'm referring to are mini neighborhood what i'm referring to that is when you go across some buildings are missing but the buildings that are there you know there is something wrong with yeah. those buildings if you're a werewolf unmistakably they describe the neighborhood as being something that's bleak uh maybe uh over or overcast or or dark and cloudy you know cloudy day um you could find people that refer to as blight children these are spirits who are merely representing uh the emotion of possible victims or tormentors that existed in in the real world that were there that had enough of a presence to leave their mark in that territory and i'm always thinking of the very like you know all sorts of NPCs that could have been made that have been out there that left their mark in the spirit world that are just old people now in the real world. You know what I mean? It blew my mind when I read this portion again. Uh, when I first saw it, saw Blight, I thought, whatever, I get what it looks like, move on. I could throw Banes there. <laughs> Reading it again with a more mature look, it's like, well, imagine if you were that old pimp in the street, king of the gangs. Did your dirt, Did never got caught. How many bodies are on you? How much did you do? How many people got drugs from you directly? What if you're still in it? And you're like 55, still collecting that money, waiting for someone to try to topple you. And now look at world from a different perspective. You can almost run a chronicle out of that neighborhood talking about that blight and the history and how new worlds are going to come and handle it. And it's an interesting story to sidestep and find out their place of power really exists. You could even go so far as to like uh, see the guy who's uh, who's catching rock on the street to literally have like a monkey on his back. There's, there'll be a puppeteer band riding somebody or something like that. You'll see a mile away. In a, in a place like this, where where they thrive and feed off of all of the suffering, all of it, and uh, and here they say that you know you could almost tip, you could almost find any flavor of bane here, depending on the misery that's inflicted in these areas, and and that's a blight. 
but this, of course, it exists because of Malpheus's power extends to them, i.e. there's enough power here to make inroads to Malpheus in the way the system they have it done. They have a whole hierarchy, which again we'll get to, but uh, this is part of their insidious plan. Uh, but rolling that forward, if we know what a blight is, what's a hellhole, Nick? Man, hellholes are way worse, in my opinion. Like, blight is spiritually empty, but hellholes are spiritually voluminous, but in the wrong way. Like, these are like toxic waste dumps and these, uh, you know, like uh, accidental, like industrial accident sites and things like that, where there's mass spillage, just complete corruption, like postulous boiling fumes of poison gas and everything like that. Like, when you go to a hellhole, you know it. Like, going to a blight feels like, oh, this is empty and desolate. Going to a hellhole is like, I don't want to be here. This is all bad. And I don't even know where to start to fix it. It it hurts to breathe, the vents, the whole, they go into a process of really painting a good picture of what that is. But the overriding goal is something bad happened here in the real world. It's like, it's like going to a nuclear test site where everything looks fine, right? They probably had a test site years ago. You could be here. You're good. But on the other side, it is cataclysmic. And that again, feeds it. Why? It's a scar upon Gaia. Yeah. That's, that's what it is. It's done its damage. So is a blight for that matter. And, um, you kind of get the feeling of how it's it's lining up what it does. But what they're trying to do is paint to you an idea of what sort of worm domains there are, right? What places are there and why and what they serve. And again, supports Malpheus, feeds Banes. It's what it does. Nothing more than columns. Columns are straight up worm domains that are created almost. This here is like phantasmic to me. It, it seemed like if there is enough of a particular emotion, a strong enough emotion, a column can manifest uh, in the umber where this occurred. And a powerful worm minion will come and set up shop drawn to this place to foster that emotion for other banes to come and nest and grow and create even more. Yeah. These rooms are dangerous. I mean, I can't put it any other way. It's, it's like, to me, it's like you could stumble into a nightmare. That's what it could be straight up. And it could be some sort of, uh, oh, I don't know, some, some killer's idea of, of what they, what they did or whatever, what they had going on. And it's, and it stayed here in the, in the realm, uh, because it's an outbirthing ground for, as they point out, something like a Nexus crawler comes set up shop and force Banes to dance to its bidding. Yeah. And the emotions pits peddling here is murder. But what would that look like in the real world? It would probably be a particularly violent place, right? Or feeding one group or one person who is establishing terror and things like that that come with that feeling, that singular emotion uh, that's uh, just feeding these Banes and continuing this uh, Nexus crawler's columns growth. But I mean, when you think about it, it's not just that either. I mean, it points out that it's any. Uh, any one of the evil feelings or thoughts, right? Angst, anger, betrayal, uh, cunning, murder, all that. And we got to make, you know, that's what we're outlining because these are specific emotions that are, are corporate. <laughs> it's no other better way to put it. <laughs> Malpheus sees it as like, we, they got sectors that specialize in this. And at least the book makes it seem that way. And they got, they got a big boss that's in charge of this stuff. And then flipped again, seeing it roll out. And that's all part of its nefarious plan and scheme. Now, Rules of columns are pretty cool, though. I like it because there isn't a hard and fast rule where a hellhole and a blight have a specific look it might have. Yep. A column is, it's whatever you decide it is. It's going to be as twisted to the theme of the singular emotion as it gets. And it doesn't have to be far away either. You know, this is near Umbra. Yeah, that's my favorite part is, uh, is it's kind of like this, this festering wound, I, I guess is the best way to put it. But instead of, of, of healing, it continues to grow and infect and get pustule and get worse. And it's because these things just draw Banes and worse to them. 
right? And, and they decide they're going to set up shop here and they constantly feed that emotion, which is if you have uh, any idea of what your imagination can, can roll with that, whether it's anger or betrayal or anything like that, like your mind immediately twists that and pushes it back into the mortal world. And that's, uh, that's got to be like the best part of it. Any news story, you can immediately spin around and kind of be like, oh, this could have been a, you know, coming out of a column of this or, or that or, or whatever it is. It's, it's interesting because when sky's the limit and that's what they do there, it allows that playground of the imagination to take over, which I think is what you want um, for a uniqueness like this. You know, you're not looking for a, here's a map, here's a book of hell and here are all the guys you're going to fight that are ever in there. That's a bit dry. Um, but this forces you to engage in and mold it to the chronicle or the story you're telling at that time, which again, bravo for that. Um, but rolling to this, I thought we were done hearing about worm cairns because cairns places of power outlined their most powerful, right? <laughs> Not quite. There's a, um, it's a particular cairn here that they outline. We, we know what they are, right? Pits and stuff like that are for black spirals. Yep. But now we're talking about legit cairns. If you recall, I asked that question. Why, why does the worm have cairns? Does it make sense? Well, if a cairn is just a spiritual site, that's where I was wrong, right? It's where all of us were. If that's what you thought, cairns were guy and only, that would be a mistake. Mm -hmm. Cairns, by definition, are a spiritual site. Most common, they're for the good guys. However, there are spiritual sites that enforce these emotions for the worm itself, right? They're they're not pits, though. Black spirals call them pits, keep them underground, do stuff like that. And some of the most powerful cairns are far beneath the Earth's surface. There are those that are made in other means. The worm is a far grasp. My favorite one is the Temple of Our Father the Destroyer. Yeah. That exists in the Bronx. I read this little blurb, and in two pages, I was saddened that they did not develop this into something with more attention, because it's, number one, how was it made, Nick? Uh, it was, uh, oddly enough, it was, it was randomly discovered by a, uh, as they call it, a, a fallen Uctena who's sensed a, a spiritual corruption somewhere. And what he what it was is just this tiny little triangular parking lot in the middle of uh, the middle of the bustling city. Just felt the a tinge on his as worm tinglies, you know, as it were. But upon upon further investigation, there was a uh, well, I, I guess a a serial killer, a certain serial killer goes by the name of Clarence Snakehand Folger, uh, or I'm sorry, that was the uh, that was the name of the uh, of the antenna found him. But the serial killer who they never found um, was uh, was discovered or uh, his bodies were discovered underneath this parking lot where all this stuff had been, uh, all this spiritual energy had kind of wafted up. So the victims here are whoever he killed the neighborhood. He stored them in this house, uh, this building. And then when he demolished it, to build something else. That's how they're discovered. This black spiral discovered the energy still laying there dormant. However, when we say energy, let's make, understand what happened. When he went across to the umbra, he saw a structure right? Existing of its own. This was not created by him. This stood there. There was a spiritual representation yeah. of the, of the serial killer's victims, which I thought was, was super interesting because it describes it as like this giant Gothic cathedral, almost like this grotesquely enormous Notre Dame with these flying buttresses and each buttress is topped with like the skulls of the victims and, uh, and, and crazy stuff like that. It's, uh, it wasn't really anything that, that I would have, uh, imagine being there but the idea of having like a holy shrine to that murder and all of those murders in general was fascinating and it's highlighting what happens right that the umber is a reflection and so it's the faces not the skulls i want to get that right because the faces were kind of horrific to me it's the faces of the victims it talks about the stumps 
uh, still bleeding of the stumps of their tongues as if they've been there in torment. And they are in torment. They're still being tormented the way that killer tormented them when they originally did it. I'm uh, as horror fan as I want to be. This is still so fantastical and bothersome as to be of, of severe discomfort, even for me. And that's one of the reasons I like it. I like the fact that I didn't think of it. This place innocently exists by innocent. Even as Black Sparrow was like, all right. Yeah. And went there and made it a Karen. And that's, and that's that. And, and the interesting thing is it's only a level one care, right? Like, uh, I would, I would think easily way higher, right? Given the, uh, the level of effort and, and the spiritual representation put in here, but it just goes to show you that it doesn't take a lot of spiritual power to have, you know, like, uh, a huge effect. Well, you know, pimp daddy worm got a lot of places. <laughs> He's just splashing the pot with Karen's right. As it points out, that's just one of his many. Right. And it, as cool as that is for him, there's other places too. He just doesn't need a killer to do his stuff. What well, tell us about Exxon. Uh, well, we all know about Exxon Valdez, right? So there's the, uh, you know, the oil uh, shipment that was coming out of, uh, out of Alaska and uh, you know, it got punctured and then suddenly there's oil everywhere. Right. World famous by now, you know, that was obviously like before deep well horizon or whatever it was, you know, end up pouring like, four times the amount or whatever it was in a day or two or whatever, whatever the, it, it, the catastrophic amount of oil that came out was. But this is uh, this was kind of the first time that anything like that had happened. So when it did happen, immediately folks were showing up and they were like, there's this much catastrophe in the world. We're going to build a cairn. We're going to do it right now. We're going to do it right here in the inky spot where everyone is dying. It's, it's that and good old Pentex, of course. Spared no expense to get out there and help out, <laughs> right? They're, they're on board to help clean the environment. Pentex, destroying what's here worse than what happened before for you. That's <laughs> got their, uh, their goal. Got their first team sitting on the shore, making sure nobody's taking the wrong photos at the right time. Right. <laughs> and if that wasn't more abominable enough, they got this mere space station, too. Now, I want you to know, this is where metamorphosis nonsense gets talked about about putting Zemisi in space. I know it is, because when you read their blurb here about it, they talk about how, yes, it is about the fact that they have a space station up in orbit, Mir Space Station, the Soviet one, and BSDs travel there via Moonbridge with an agreement they have with the Baba Yaga, right? The Baba Yaga, Nosferatu, Russia, all that fun stuff. Yep. And uh, made a deal with her so that they can go up there whenever they want, and they travel there to summon whatever without Gaia's influence, because they're not on the earth. Gaia can't get in the way. Yep. And they're up there in the void and their rituals are stronger and they summon whatever. And there are puppeteer beings controlling the cosmonauts that are up there. So they could just go as much as they like. And at this point, very interesting, but also equally interesting. It's a, it's a, it's an anchor head, right? That allows you to go right to Malpheus. It's a guaranteed yes. way. It's, it's vastly more powerful simply because of the capabilities of it. Uh, this place can almost function as a far column if it isn't a far column, which means that it does have that direct link to Malpheus. And, um, you know, the Black Spirals are, are free to use it for dark rituals. They just can't perform, like even in Grandma's gut or wherever their natural cairns would be. It's, uh, it's exponentially more powerful simply because of that. You got to do what you got to do in space. Um, we we could get more about Baba Yaga. I know people want to say, oh, yeah, this and the other, the Army of Night and all that. We went over that. Yeah, we, there was a we're podcast that. for that. Um, the, the space station there is unique. Now, the Tide of Metamorphosis is also, we did a podcast on that, but just to remind you, it talked about the fact that there's some Zemis Metamorphosis who believe in a weird space program they could do in the dark side of the moon forever. 
this is where that idea you can tell kind of germinated and floated around. Again, I think it's comical. Then again, if you want to do a sci-fi horror game, I guess it's not. Yeah. It's, it suits yourself when it comes to that. And, uh, and I'll hmm. eat a little crow on that and say, yeah, you know what? That'd be a little fun to do that. Too. Actually, that would kind of inspired me just now. Right. A good horror game you could see popping up if you were hunters going up there to clean out a space station gone dark. Oh, yeah. It'd be because, fun. And, uh, and you could easily twist it into like some kind of weird event horizon thing. Oh, it's beautiful. Just be sure to put that Pentex logo somewhere. Right. Not to be about them, but <laughs> ding. Right. Yep. That's the goal. Um, rolling it out, though, you get the um, it, it goes a little weird here. It goes it goes back to Malpheus, a little jumping. Uh, because I think they're trying to give you a mapping, right? Give you an overview of what Malpheus was to understand hellholes and blights and how one might see yeah. these places fed. And then what's Malpheus like to be there? Uh, and for that, Nick, I'm going to let you just kind of give us an idea, paint us a picture of what's, I go to Malpheus. We, you and I are in Malpheus now. Yep. What's it look like? Day one, we stepped out, say Jerry O'Connor or Jerry O'Connell opened up the teleport warp to it and we got to slide on in. <laughs> um, <laughs> Malpheus as it describes, it looks like a madman's industrial park, right? So it's just tiny or these giant skyscrapers all over the place filled with crazy, intricate uh, machinery. And, uh, and it looks like somebody took like a modern waste dump and crossed it over with like the worst aspects of the dark ages of Europe, where it's just this filthy, disgusting, like uh, dirtiness and grime to it. And all these uh, all these pipes lead everywhere, and they're all rusted and decaying, and uh, and it just feels off. Like there's a there's a general tone of it is just corruption and depravity everywhere you go. And the the most unsettling thing about it for me is that the air is full of screams, shouts, and depraved laughter. So it's just constant like cacophony in the background of of all these different sounds. Literally abandon all hope, ye who enter here. Yeah. Is what that reminds me of. Well, hundred <laughs> percent, and uh, it's and it should, right? We're not going to get into this, but they do have a tale here of of X Sara uh, that's here, which talks about their um, it's a silver fang that goes in there to rescue a fetish. It's a good story to read, and talks about uh, what what he does and what he encountered getting in there, and uh, and how he got out. And it's interesting, right? But it gives you one insight as to why werewolves might have to go to there, right? Go to the Umbra. Yeah. Go, excuse me. Go to Malpheus rescue a long forgotten fetish all right um but on top of that though since we know what it feels like in malpheus and we're not touched the story we got these uh territories in malpheus that are ran by archdukes right now these are these are duchies right yeah duchies 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 okay yep. past the duchy upon the left hand side okay there you go on the left hand side <laughs> i like duckies but now i get it um uh these uh these areas will be the dukes of malpheus serious group of people um well things I'll leave that up. It's Nick. We can discuss that. I love the fact that the worm elevates people, right? Like you go to this realm and while you're there, the worm reaches its talon down and goes, you will now be an archduke and you become this thing. It is. um, And they, they talk about it, you know, a little bit later because these, these different duchies are run by these different uh, entities. Some are just dudes. Others are these super powerful Banes. um, and, And these Banes get, can get elevated by the worm and like when you're choo choo chosen by the by the worm to, sh- to show up and, and replace its whatever just got lost archduke it basically pulls your soul from your body and then twists you into a powerful bane spirit and you could think to yourself there's probably a handful of people like you know today that would probably 
work just fine as being elevated to Bane. That's probably who killed Jeffrey Epstein right there. <laughs> it wasn't, wasn't the Clintons. Elevated. Wasn't the wasn't himself. It was he was elevated by the worm. It's a it's a thing to do. Now these uh these territories are no joke, right? They go into into extreme detail to describe them. We got we got cages that are just torture chambers for captives. We have a a central duchy uh, which is just thorough refineries that look like castles, twisted castles, and versions of territory that are there. Um, then they have concept places. Yeah, yeah. And and, w- and one of them I wanted your take on it, Nick, because I'll be honest to everybody, I read it twice, <laughs> sat there, and I went, "What the hell did they just write?" And that's the rationality irrationality joint. I- I'm gonna tell you right now, um, it doesn't make sense. Like they put down rationality, rationality. The words are rational. The concept is irrational. It makes no sense, right? You go in, there's, there's two doors. It's just a room, right? Like, hey, I got a living room. On one side of that room is one door. On the other side is the other door. Now, depending on which door you open to enter the room changes how the, the room is. So you enter on the rational side and it's just like a study, right? There's, there's books and a desk and things like that. And it's relatively normal. You enter on the other side and then there's like stuff on the ceiling, like, like the furniture's on the ceiling and... And just uh, the color scheme is all wrong or whatever it is. But you're thinking to yourself, all right, well, what's the purpose of this? Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I, hey, <laughs> if, if you ain't got nothing, then okay, we agree. I, I was <laughs> like, what? What? Hey, uh, this is a park thing. Bob, this is just another room in the random Malpheus dungeon crawl. You know, just put it on the map. Your players will get there eventually. Boom. The worm is clowning. Okay. He has his, he has his humor too. Then there's a dream nightmare place, which I found again. This was unique. Yeah. This was something that allows you allows them to cross into the realm of nightmares. Yeah, I don't think we need to talk about why this exists because it's a it's a trick scenario. You first start up on a kind of like a dream garden. Yeah, everything's serene and calm, looks pleasant and peaceful. You have some gothic architecture and an outdoor garden scenario. It's relaxing, what have you. But then there's a part that crosses over into more abstract. Well, we'll just call it terror. At that point, you might as well start throwing down. Um, well, nightmares is the best way I could put it. What what would scare you? Yeah, and this is this is something subject to each person who goes into it. And what I like about it is that this is all set up as if the the archdukes are set up on high, watching from above, seeing everybody go through this little maze of funhouse, and seeing who has ownership and who's going in. Mm-hmm. That's how I made sense of it. I actually took a pad and paper and said, "This needs to make sense." This isn't just everything stacked on top of each other in some crazy floating whatever. So what is it? It would be territories. These sit as rulers, but they have the power to see what goes on in their realm. And that made more sense to me that now you're able to see whoever controls or governs that whatever emotion is being actually whatever ride would be taken at this point, most likely draws their attention, depending on what it is someone's go through. I would think of it entirely differently, right? So you can't think of like this as as a physical location with a, with a map, right? Um, your players will tell you what realm they're entering just in their discussion and their actions. That's exactly how I would play it. Like, it doesn't matter where they walk or what they do or what they're looking for. It's how they're interacting that'll put them in whatever place they need to be. That's interesting. That's not a bad way to handle that. And I agree with that. The, the part I'm saying is for the book to be so specific about this exists and it's here and this is all across the way. And then don't forget this chamber. And then this is here as well. And they're, give, they're giving you a map. It's yeah. like, okay, well, well, where, who, who has what, right, is, what, is where it's at. I also think this is on purpose. I really do. 
I sincerely hope I'm not giving authors an out and I'm making it way cooler than it is. <laughs> but I enjoy the fact that because I, I have a secret suspicion, maybe just they gushed all the horror ideas they could on paper. But like, there, it's Malpheus. <laughs> right? That's the excuse. Anything happens, it's Malpheus. It doesn't matter. You shouldn't be there. Malpheus. Right? Because think about it. If someone complains, well, what are you doing in Malpheus? You shouldn't make it out. Well, we were here to rescue a fish, and that's the focus of the game. Well, I, we're encountering a door and some other stuff, and there's some twisted thing. And there's a black spiral we we took to get out. Like, is that even doable? Well, if your storyteller let it go, did you go there? Were you in the dream night nightmare place? And that's what you thought you did, but ended up that you're outside now, and there you are, and that's that's what happened. Because you know how players get. They like to know that if I went somewhere and encountered this stuff but survived and they get back, well, you want to go back. Right. Well, because I got it once, you know, and I can go back and get all the loot, right? Right. I got that powerful fetish. We'll go again. And I think, aha, uh-huh, the joke's on you. I really feel that Malpheus is an aspect of drawing those there who fall to it. And once you're there, whether you escape or not, is to the whelm, to, to the, to the whelm. it's to the whims of the, uh, the Archdukes as to whether or not you get to leave again, because you only leave if you're still somehow fulfilling the worm's goals. Right. Right. It, it kind of feels like a black hole less than it yes. is a place to visit. And that's, that's a lot going on here. And when you see the place, um, what my favorite place here I, I, is the Epips. I actually enjoy that. The places of inspiration, the epiphany, oh, yeah, so to yeah, speak. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's just a tangible representation of ideas. This place becomes dangerous. And I like what you said about it here, Nick. Uh well, tell me what you thought about it. I don't want to take your words here. So epiphs are tangible representations of ideas, which uh which sounds confusing. It is kind of a high-minded concept. If you think of something like uh and, and we're gonna go with an idea. You know, like the idea of courage. Uh, that's not something you can really say, this is what courage looks like. But you can create a realm that encompasses that idea. Not much different than you would a column of like anger or betrayal. Those are ideas, right? But there's a singular singular spirit um, that, uh, that these epiphs are designed to represent. And that's... Um, that's what these uh, these areas do. And I think that in Melpheus, they, they give you two examples in here, which is courage and logic. I think you could put any kinds of ideas in here and, and twist them to a very dark purpose, which would be probably the coolest thing to do it the way I would uh, I would like to see it. Like if I was playing in the game and, uh, and the storyteller rolled me into an epiph, I would want it to be something that would directly corrupt my character. like force me to make hard choices or reflect on things in such a way that I walk out of there tainted by that idea. And so, and what I thought about that is exactly along those lines that you get a group to get here and you have a sort of hard nosed alpha player that's been there the whole time. Yeah. But when you get there, everything's the way that alpha wants. That's sort of what the realm's designed to do. They're hit. They have to face what it is and how they see the world really. But what would it be if they had their way? What does that world look like now? Mm-hmm. And in an EPIF, they would face this. And that could corrupt them. There's a very good chance it could, because if they're all about it, why would they leave? And whatever, whatever made this, whatever's there, wouldn't want them to leave because you are literally fueling why it exists in the first place. And if you're an Archduke, well, we'll just get that cage ready for him once yeah. it's once it's all done. So assuming the pack lets him stay and doesn't battle and knock him out and drag him away or whatever, that's it's a it's a very interesting thing, you know. So it's like careful what you wish for is what this reminded me of. Ooh. That's that's really good stuff. I'm not gonna lie. But when you roll into something, you mentioned earlier that the the worm was uh you know kind of creating things, right? It has a capability to elevate someone and change them 
and change their spirit, I believe is what you said. I was like, hmm, now it makes sense. I will admit off the bat, I'll tell you how I was initially negative about this, the wild and Malpheus. And I read this and I was like, this is, I literally have in my book a black marker and I blacked it out. (laughs) I had to look at the PDF. I did that when I had this book somewhere in 2002, I think. It was some campaign where I was like, F you who wrote this. This is nonsense. I was seriously wondering what your thoughts were going to be on it. For those those not in the know, inside the center of Malpheus, there's this giant crystal sphere. And inside that sphere is a vortex, which is a a wild entity. Um, And I mean, wild with the with the why. Well, a wild a wildling vortex is what it calls it. There is a wildling and, and the vortex is a thing serves a function like ever changing. Right. That's what it can do. Right. And the reason that they decided to, to bring this wild in here is because the, the worm in itself is a destroyer and the wild is a creator. So if it has this engine, it's got no fuel for the engine. It doesn't know how to create anything. So what it does is it creates this, this thing called the fount of dark possibilities, where it takes the power of creation and twists it. And uh, it basically uh, creates any kind of wild evil possibility. So like uh Banes will pop out of there and and all kinds of of, of crazy creatures. It it produces like a like a thing called black drink. Um right. yeah <laughs> and to me it, it makes purple drink. That's what it makes. Purple drink. Everybody like purple drink. That's what's coming out of this. This is the secret of purple drink. It's in Malpheus, the wildling vortex. But the idea, the idea behind it, which which kind of gets me out of it, is 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 that the very core of the worm is that it has always used the weaver and the wild against themselves. And this is just yes. another example of it taking something from the wild, twisting it, and using it to attack the wild back. And it talks about this wild, this wild energy, this, this vortex has been here since Malpheus. Very it was start. formed, set right, very start, which is, whoa, right? When you think about it, there was an idea here. There's a story there. Who's going to know? But this does explain a lot about how the worm is able to have such entities uh, that are, that are around it and what have you. If it couldn't create and it can only destroy or corrupt, well, now, now we're getting somewhere. And that's why I was like, man, I wish it didn't black that book, but uh, whatever. <laughs> I have a PDF. We all make mistakes in our past, right? A younger version of us makes all kinds of crazy choices. (laughs) (laughs) So um, with that rolling through, Malpheus is is a gigantic playland, but let's not front. The most important thing in Malpheus is the Black Sparrow Labyrinth. Yeah. This theme ties into everything that were the Black Sparrow dancers who are not even contestable as the main villain for werewolf, in my opinion. It's the Fallen Tribe is always going to get the most hate. And they're also going to be the most fun villains to, to throw at players. And players enjoy being hunted, investigating, or dealing with these guys because it's as if you know them, but you don't, right? And they're also the most easily to corrupt as well, I might add. Um, well, depending. But to read about the Black Spiral Labyrinth here, I, I will caution you. There is a book written a lot better. Uh, yeah. And it's on purpose. It's a prop. This is more of a mechanics. Here's an idea. When you get the prop version, when we hit that book, you're going to tune in for that. There's all sorts of cool stories to talk about the Labyrinth and to go through it. But in this one, we're going to go through real quick. I think the way it's, uh, way it's piped out is uh, we know that the Black Spiral, the, the dance of the Black Spiral, excuse me, is one where it's an initiation, first and foremost. But it is a difficult one. This is not simple by any, any stretch of the imagination. Right? If you recall, we learned how people go through a minor version of it to become a BSD in the first place. Yep. Right? You go, what is it called again? The, the wormhole? The totem hole. 
the totem hole. You go to the totem hole, totem and the Theer just summon the, the, the essence of the Black Spiral Labyrinth mini right where you're at, yep. and you, you, you face the worm. You're going to get your first glimpse of the worm itself, and then you gibber, and those syllables you gibber <laughs> become your name, right? We remember that. Black Spiral Dancing, the home version. Right, but that is called a dance of insight. That's just level one. That's just going through here. There are, there are nine circles here. And uh, that's circle one with the dance of insight, reveal the inner secret. But from the reveal the inner secret, we transcend to dance number two. Let's say, let's say I, I want to go back and I use that ritual that allows me to actually go to the Black Sparrow Dancer because I threaten my fears in the Black Sparrow <laughs> Hive and tell them, you put me there to gain power or else I'm going to knock your lights out. Sure, have fun, right? You owe me a funnel cake, whatever. It's amusement park. <laughs> he leaves and goes gets on this spiral and since he's already done the, the circle one he's now facing off in the dance of rage what is the purpose of the dance of rage nick uh it's it's to give them an idea and that idea is that the only way they can solve the problem is through anger and frenzy now you name me one werewolf that won't come to that conclusion naturally put any right. obstacle in their way and at some point is going to be anger and frenzy that will see them through the namesake of the worm, its primal energy, is this wrath, this this rage, this uh, this power, and you have to prove it. That's what that taught that to me that you understand that and, and what rage is truly to you. So why then you can't you, uh, you can't you can't reverse back and go to like the very first book and and read under the uh, the title of the book and have it say when will you circle of the black spiral level two. <laughs> That's true. Uh, but remember, the important thing about the worm is that it was not always bad. I want to highlight that. A lot of you are saying, well, then rage is bad at that point. So therefore, it's incorrect. No. What it is that once upon a time, it was the renewer. Yep. Its job was to renew things. It used that power to do that. That's what it had it for. And now that it's maddened, it is literally forcing you, trying to corrupt you. Get lost in rage. Never, you know, now it's not directed. And nor should it be. Power is power unto its own sake. Why? Corruption. That's its point. But now that you understand what the inner secret of the worm is and you did the dance of rage, you yielded to the power of it. Um, now it's to endure. It's to have the mental and physical fortitude to go through anguish and persevere to still further the ends of the worm. Yep. So at that point, we're at the equivalent of rank three is how it translates in Black Spiralville. Yep. Right. We're seriously powerful here rolling on. And whatever that is needs to be grueling both mentally and physically. It shouldn't be a gimme. It should be something you got to go through. If you're Bob, we're not running a Black Sparrow game. Why is it defining it? Because they're literally thinking you might run a Black Sparrow game. Yep. Or, like I've done, you have players who are unaware of what the Black Sparrow Labyrinth is because you never refer to it as such. And you don't hit them as a Black Sparrow Labyrinth. You hit them like it's a series of dream events, right? You give them signs to figure it out, but they don't know they're there. They don't know what they're <laughs> doing. Really, their bodies are uh, unconsciously navigating a Black Labyrinth, dancing the spiral accordingly, but they're dreaming of a different thing, and that's the game. Wait, I am that type of guy. You mean to say there's not actually like a, a spiral staircase that winds down into darkness and you dance down it like the big Lebowski in his dream sequence and open door by door? Right, right. <laughs> Unless everyone can do what they want to. I prefer the, the psychological uh, as well as the actual horrific. And to me, I don't think that the Black Spiral Labyrinth should be dumbed down from there not being a dance. It's called dance for a reason. One should do it. It is very creepy to have rites and rituals that are performed a specific way. And if you keep that trigger of that, there is a dance in a circle. They were very good at describing mm -hmm. what that dance was. And when you go to the totem hole to do it, 
and hold to it. But nothing says, especially when someone goes back to it, whether it's in dream or by a summons or what have you, that they have to be aware they're doing it, right? Corruption or worm taint calls to worm taint drags you through a lot. And that's where the worm is kind of a fun entity uh, to have to face. Well, fun for a storyteller should be fun for the players, but mm, the players should mm-hmm. enjoy thwarting those influences every chance they get. And, and that's the goal. Like, if you ever have watched for Werewolf and you've not played with somebody waking up with a nightmare and not knowing what the nightmare is and progressing that along to where they're sleepwalking towards an unknown destination and wake up and there's blood everywhere, but they don't know what happened, don't know what went on, and there wasn't a loud howl, no one went to Kronos apparently, but there's, there's no body. What's going on? Things like that are foreboding. They're telling you it's getting worse. And it's, and it's ways to just kind of draw this out. Another way to tie it back to the Black Spiral Labyrinth is what if that is what's, what's going on when someone is going through a, a test of en- enduring mental and physical anguish, that it's beginning just for them in that capacity. They thought they got out. Nope, they're still in that dark labyrinth, dancing slowly, unconscious, not knowing. Meanwhile, there's these banes that are slithering all over the place, whispering to them this song of the dream. And they have to overcome it somehow. Yep. That's an example. But let's say they get through that. Really good. Story's written that way, however you want to put it. What's the dance of cunning at uh, Circle Four? That's uh this one is where it, it gets a little bit different, right? Because we're no longer relying on like the uh the brute headed uh get through it stick to itiveness. At this point, there's just a single guardian, it's a bane, and uh you just have to convince it using your wits to let you through. That's it. I, I want to tell you, and its simplicity is why it's sinister, right? I always feel this is dance of cunning. You must outwit a Bane Guardian. Would it be a series of riddles? It could be something simple. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be, what if you're, nothing happens and you're just there? And that's the test. Well, the secret, Bob, is to realize there is no spoon. Right. It's, right. It's <laughs> things like that. This is where that stuff comes to play. Here's where your players should be throwing their, you know, enigmas and calling upon it and things they could do and insights into trying to, chisel away you can have a lot of fun with this the sky's the limit um it's yet another challenger test it's also a rank forge nor should it be easy right and that's the kind of the point but let's say you get through that dance of combat rank five right must fight to prove your strength i do not think we have to explain this in any way this is a fight no matter what but i prefer to always say it should be a fight of something that's illogical and what I mean like what I mean by this, I like doing stuff where it's cool you're a werewolf and you're there, but you're now, for whatever reason, facing off against your classmate. I do mean there's a classmate from long ago in your history that's here for whatever reason, right there, um, armed with a silver clave, standing there, smiling. Hmm. You didn't know their life, you didn't know what it could be. Are they a werewolf? Are they not? It's fun things like that. I'm just pulling it out of thin air, but it's hooks like that, depending on the background of your player, they're gonna throw them for a loop. If you have an ah rune at rank four looking to be rank five and it's a BSD game that shows up. And suddenly they're facing off against a mentor because they were a silver thing who originally taught them Claviscar, clave dueling in the first place. And that mentor is here right now. They've defied Gaia, right? Can you reverse engineer BSD? Can you force them to lose and die here in the Black Spiral? And I wonder how many BSDs take that out, right? Face an honorable mentor, but this was your rank five challenge. And that's what she had to do. And the weak will fall and they will fail. And or they'll persevere and prove their strength and dominance. And that's, that's it. It's the only two ways about it. Interesting. Now, the other ones, I've never done. Nobody ever got that far. Nobody ever got that far. This is the stuff where you're reading about it, and it's weird. Like, for instance, it, Dance of Loyalty. That's interesting. I, I mean, it, it, it simply says, drink this, right? Which is kind of like um, 
you know, like if you're Alice in Wonderland and you just come across a bottle that says drink me on it and uh, and you're thinking to yourself, all right, how uh, I guess you're not you're not bullshitting anymore at, at this point. It's, it's just simple. Drink this and you drink it. All right. It seems easy to get through. But I mean, really, what it's saying is that uh, it, it directly con- um, contradicts like uh, Circle Nine at, at at some point where there's unquestioning loyalty and then there's questioning loyalty. Well, which side of the fence is the loyalty on? If it's drink this, what does the drink do? Does it matter? Does it cure? Well, it, yeah. What if it cures me? Cures you of what? Right. Who knows? Right. That's what I'm getting at. Like drink that. Like Bane says, sign says drink me. Doesn't say why. And you got to figure it out. But what do you know of it? What's your lore? Is there lore here? No one's been this far. Yeah, they are. There are people of higher rank, but they haven't talked to you. No one talks to them. That is the point of this. Yep. It's how far do you want to go? What happens if you do drink it? What if it is you're not supposed to? There is no answer. That is only for each individual storyteller to their player to ever answer, right? Because it could be drink it for Nick and never drink it for me based on where we came from, which would determine if we passed or not. Depends. Just depends. That gets very complex. And now we're we're not in the weeds to it, but it's just one of those things where it's like the, the difficulty is 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 raised. The bar is up there. Yep. You know, then we see the dance of paradox where it's a riddle contest with the bane of enigmas <laughs> or what I call instant rage for Bob. <laughs> it could be now the riddle contest uh, dance of enigmas to think on this. And I enjoyed it because if it's if it's just a riddle contest, nah, yeah, I'd make it more sporting. It's something of paradox, but it'd be a riddle that they would live through, that they would go through a scene of. Not just, here's a word, we're figuring out sentences, let's match wits, let's see what happens, let's roll some dice. That should be something that uh, that you absolutely got to go through to make sense. Like, what if you were told to complete an objective for the worm, you have to learn how to team up with these guy and people at a, at a cairn. Hmm. And the dance, folks, by the way, you can achieve this circle and then leave to go fulfill some task and still be doing on that challenge. That's there. That's there. And not only there, it makes sense. It's a spiritual thing that you're going through. Right. And when complete, you have to come back to see it done. And we're at the level of eight anyway. Right. For werewolf, six is legendary. No one's heard of a seven or an eight. Right. So what is this to be with in the first place? So this here, sky's the limit again. And to me, you don't ever have to go that far. But if you do have all the fun in the world with it and definitely make it epic because you're not just upping the ante of how powerful they're getting. You're up in the ante of how creative and epic you're going to have to make your whole chronicle for doing this. If you're going to continue with being it right at this point, I'll just tell you. Past rank five, I'm I'm ending the character that's going through it myself because right. they've won. Or elevate them to a bane. <laughs> Push the chips in, you've won. We'll add you to Malphys and move on. Why? Because we're not having everybody who's going to go through your do it. It's just not going to happen. And then, but just to finish it off, what's the last one, Nick? So this is the dance of deceit. And you have to prove that you're above even the worm. So uh, if uh, it, it says here, only one guru has ever passed the circle and his or her name is forgotten. And uh, and the idea is it's an old uh, samurai slogan, right? It's uh, if you meet the Buddha on the road, kill him. And on this, they say, if you meet the worm in the road, kill it. And the idea is that your purpose, nothing, nothing, not even the worm itself is above your purpose. So if the worm gets in your way, you're there to replace it. It's an interesting concept when it comes to that. When we use corruption, cunning and deceit so far. That last test is a uh, hmm, best of luck, as we'll, as we'll put down there. In fact, we'll roll right into the rulers of Malpheus. There's an entity that has passed that test. Uh, it's uh, number two, right? It's BSD. Um, basically, he's an asshole. Can't put it any better. 
<laughs> right? They don't know if it was a female, by the way, who originally came through and, and did the success to be number two or male. Have no idea. They refer to it as a he because it uses male dominant forms to go around and torment everyone in Malpheus. I do mean everyone. This is the boss she never wanted, right? They show up and go, hey, you missed quota. Why? Um, and then he starts slaughtering everybody in the office. You last, though, right? It's their fault. They're going to die, but you're going to go slow. And he wants the mental trauma to be there first and doesn't care the reason, really. They're, he's just there. He was bored and showed up. They really describe a bully wandering around just causing problems as much as he is driving things forward. The reason makes simple sense, though. The simple fact is that this is a realm of chaos in its entirety. And to get complacent is to die. That's, that's never going to be that. Because the moment, the moment you slow down, someone's trying to move up the hierarchy. Everybody wants to be in the Worm's good graces and forward those plans. But Worm has multiple faces to follow. He's multiple plans. They got multiple ways to get at it. This is what you have going on. Now, more or less, number two is, a, is an interesting and enigmatic figure uh, one to learn on. But then we have the committee, Nick. If number two's up there, what's the point of the committee? The committee is, uh, these are all people that, that either advise or directly serve number two. Then these are the people who are elevated above everyone else. So you'll have like a, a spy master or um, you know, a person who coordinates your corruption efforts, or you'll have a, a grand vizier um, or <laughs> one person's a constable, like a police officer. And it could be as bad as like, so imagine that you are in Malpheus and you're there to serve the worm. Hey, day number one, you just got done with orientation. God knows what orientation would be like in, in Malpheus. But what the first thing that happens is the spy master sits you down, has a talk with you, wants to determine if you've got any wavering loyalty to the worm on day one. Maybe he's going to have the, uh, you know, the, the constable come over and, uh, and rough you up, see who you've been talking to, dig through your papers in your drawers. If they find the wrong thing, they'll put you to the question. The next person comes along. This is exactly the way this committee runs. Number two almost runs an entire group of people behind him that do nothing other than torture everybody else in Malpheus to make sure they're aligned to the company goal. <laughs> uh, that's, that's no lie. That's no lie. There, it's, so basically, it's the royal hierarchy for him. Right. And on ways he, he does business. And there's no question as to why you need that and have to have that uh, to even exist in Malpheus. Um, Got to have backup is what I'm rambling to. And uh, he's he's one such reason. Now, getting past the rulers, um, we start chiseling into actually the worm itself. Now, we understand that we're here at the hour point. We're going to push through and get this done. So we have it all done in the final one. So we can, we can move on with what we're getting through, um, because I think Malpheus makes sense when you understand the grand Wignall himself, the, the worm. And of course, this is chapter four, rolls right into the worm. I think we've talked a lot about it, though. I'm going to save that right here. I think we understand the worm, what it's here, what it's about. But to be getting the apple, so to speak, the, uh, the apple polish, on the cosmology sense, Nick, uh, what, what are the, indeed the scales of balance for what the worm is? Let's start painting the picture. All right. I'll polish your apple. So you got to remember that at some point, the worm was designed to, to constrain everybody, the, you know, like the, the weaver and the wild. And the way that they, they map this out is almost like an Ouroboros, if you know what that is, you know, like the snake that eats its own tail. Like the worm itself was a giant serpent that enclosed everything around it or everything in the middle. And the thing in the middle was just the wild pumping out wild energies and the weaver going crazy, making it into form and function. And then at some point, it all goes awry. 
But the re- the way that the worm would control this is it would goad the wild into creating things that would help cull itself or cull creations of the weaver. And this is how like, um, you know, things like uh, birth, death, time, all these things kind of came along when uh, when the cycle happened, where things would come into creation, they'd take form and then they would be removed from creation. Is that essentially the way the triad worked? And that and that works in explanation. I was understood a little different, but I like that Ouroboros tie-in. It's, it's a quick and easy mental image to get down. And because it is a cycle, the worm's the renewer. Uh, Gaia sure created everything, but you know the wild really is what's kicking out those forms. The weaver is the one defining the forms, and the worm is supposed to put an end date, right? Lack yep. of, I mean, all, everything everything Nick said. But what happens is, is that we have the weaver begins to understand that she she can't she can't compete with the wild forever. Yeah. Now the wild keeps kicking out things like that. And obviously logic is what we're talking about. The weaver has it. And so starts, well, traps the worm, in um, lack of a better term. It almost describes it like an AI that became self-aware, right? At some point, they're like the weaver. This, this whole beautiful cycle happened between all these forces and they were in balance. And at one point, the weaver woke up and, uh, and suddenly realized that, you know, there was, there was something that was messing with the way that it had its Lego stack. And it's kind of OCD. It likes the way it has its Lego stack. And it keeps on building his Legos. The worm keeps coming over and knocking them down. And it keeps on wanting to stack them back up. It'll never get anywhere, you know, unless it takes care of this, of this problem with the, you know, the constant smashing of its creations. <laughs> and, you know, and the worm at this time was just happy going around ending things. Yep. And so it tries to do what it do. It should have done always. Well, I'll just end the webs that are on me. And then if it gets in the way, I'll end it too. Right. That's the way it's thinking until it learns that try as hard as it can. It, it can maybe maybe it weakened it. it has no idea but it certainly gets trapped it gets exhausted gets trapped and then realizes it's stuck and that's when the idea of corruption starts yeah that's when it decides to switch over to a whole new tactic and this is like um you know it, it said that the weaver became self-aware i would say that the the worm became self-aware at this point as well because the worm takes a very vindictive turn at this point and decides it wants to attack the wild so that the weaver will stop so that it can then hopefully end its own damn existence by being consumed by the uh, by the weaver. But ultimately, we'll put a pin here for a second. You have to understand that, that what they're talking about is mankind. It is the only way this makes sense. Nothing in the spirit world happens that doesn't happen in the real world first. They need each other, right? This isn't that system ran itself perfectly fine. Why did the AI all of a sudden decide what was what? Well, if you think about it, evolution has a play here. There's this talk of what's going on or some sort of advancement that was making to where people were living longer, hardier, uh, were finding better weapons, better ways to hunt, better ways to live off the land, what have you. They were improving at a steady pace. And you know us, we go leaps and bounds, right? Leaps and bounds in short amounts of time, especially mm-hmm. properly motivated. And it's a brilliant way to put it that these animistic energies get out of whack because of it, because they do. The whole point of this game is a very eco-aware feel to it. And when you look at it that way, you're like, oh, okay, I get it. It's the predation of mankind. That's why there was an impergium, if you recall. And that was to slow what they were doing and, and make sure that they, they don't harm things because there's a lot of Banes falling and things like that. Well, you now know why Banes were following them. There was a cause and effect here. Mm-hmm. There's a reason the werewolves were created to come in and handle that. And we know some people failed their job. And that's, <laughs> that, it's that simple, right? You had one job, Craig, and you, did, you missed the ball. And look what you did, worm everywhere. And that's okay. That's why we have a game. 
That is the point of the game. And it's not, not to be, some folks are really angry about that or tied up about that. No, we're humans. There's no blame here. Well, yeah, there's blame. There's gotta be, you know, if you read it, we just went through here, how no Bane or spirit exists without having a reason. Well, it, it needs to have a point of origin. It makes sense that people would say that, Bob. That's the worm's influence right there. Of course, they would have nothing to do with it. Touche. Right? Denial is a good aspect of corruption. And uh, But I'm saying have fun with it. Have a villain. Know the villain's there. And remember, it's personal horror. This is a tip. Still personal horror. And it ties it back to it. The worm is almost, uh, well, you can't escape it. What, what did you call him, Nick? You said it today. We were joking about it. You said the worm was, uh, was some super villain playing the stock market. Oh yeah, it was like a it was like a Gordon Gecko, right? <laughs> Playing the stock market, and uh, I can't remember exactly what the reference was that I was making about uh, how it was making these uh, these crazy investments. Either uh, don't rely on my memory, Bob. It's going to fail me every time. It was hysterical. It was like uh, that the idea of GameStop was the worm. <laughs> <laughs> after 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 all this time, finally to fruition. Nah. It was pointing out that the worm has many machinations they write about it in the book. And from Pentex and Creatures and on, it, it plants all these seeds everywhere, hoping that uh, in time, things happen. But this book points out that everything bad that ever happens anywhere, anytime, the worm planned it the whole time. Yeah. The worm is Dr. Doom. And you can't get rid of it, right? It's like this, this comical thing, actually. Um, anything bad happens. But the truth of the matter is, as we know, it can't be. Where the worm is a great villain... Right, well written, good guy to have people rail against. There is personal responsibility in the world still, right? If you if you chose to steal something because you didn't feel like buying it, that wasn't the worm doing it. That was you being lazy, right? Or just I feel like doing it. Like who knows? Yes, yeah. to say the doing worm things does not make you the worm, but it makes you influenced by the worm. Right, do enough of them, and you will draw the wrong attention from the right entity. Is what that is, but everybody has little mischief in them, and that's what that and that's what that comes down to. Um, I'll, I'll unpin it because so the goal is not to be preachy, but to highlight that because I want that awareness there because I feel a lot of people. F- I've been in games where someone said, "Ah, oh, crap, we accidentally killed that guy who was shooting silver at us out of a shotgun." I had no choice; it was me or my Pac-Man made a call. I guess I'm worm tainted now. I have to go through. Why are you worm tainted? Well, because I killed an innocent. Were they innocent? Why did they have silver in their shotgun? Well, that's the case. Well, if it comes down to self-defense, why would that be worm tame? Mm-hmm. And to have the ST go, I never said worm tame, but if you feel that, and then the player go out of game and then, and then struggle with that idea. And I was like, well, you've been good the whole time, right? You've been super good. Why is that one incident where it was a great call, you know, and that's part of the personal horror. And when, when I have to explain it to them, they, they're so focused that worm, 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 there's gifts that sense it. If I'm that at all, I get booted out of the cairn, out of blah, blah, blah. No, folks. If you fight the worm, you go at it enough, long enough, you're going to get worm taint. That's why they have rituals to cleanse it. The cleansing represents guilt and doubt and self-pity being washed away from you. Mm. It is not this this goo that's stuck to you and everyone can see it. It's a way to renew you. It's blotched my skin and it smells (laughs) kind of foul. Just wash it off with Gaia sponge. It's 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 spiritual as much as it is maybe actual at the time. You know, it's done often after warring and things like that. You know how it's used, but remember that spiritual piece because it opens up role play opportunity. Pay 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 close attention to what Bob's saying. It's easy to kind of glaze over it, but he was saying a solid gold. This is the heart and soul of werewolf right here. And drawing it down, since we know that the entrapment and corruption, and that's the worm. And I'll take Nick's hint and roll on. 
Um, let's just get down here. Not at all what that <laughs> was. <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Uh, so we get down here, though. The worm does have many faces. When you've heard us say this multiple times, um, you probably wonder what's what's that all about, or maybe you just didn't care to know. Here's something really cool about the worm. Why they can't isolate and just kill it. It's got a sophisticated plan. When the worm understood its situation, it knew it can oppose either the wild or the weaver directly on its own as is. To get right in their way. Mm-hmm. Except if it got in the way of one, it knows that leaves the other to do what it will. And it's not and it's not serving a function. However, it knew that it could fragment itself, right? Make different versions of itself to almost make parodies. Well, not even almost, to make a parody of the wild and of the weaver to intercede and get in their way and still have an overarching plan itself. This is uh this is almost brilliance, right? And maybe it maybe it truly is brilliance. But you gotta remember the way that the worm got into this pickle was that the weaver outproduced it, right? Was just able to en masse put so much of creation and 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 form in the world that it couldn't destroy it fast enough. The only way it knew how to combat that was then to fracture its own existence, mind and focus into separate entities, and then have each one of those individually do it, almost matching effort for effort. Like if I could make three people half as smart as me, I would still be winning. Right. That's I, done. Done. We'll just get into it because I think that's said perfect. And when you look at the uh, the aspects of it. We got the aspect of corruption, which is the defiler worm. This is probably the most commonly known uh, interpretation of the worm, right? This is this is everything that drives folks. Uh, well, corrupts you. I don't think I need to get into that any more than it is. But it's a uh, as uh, as Nick has here in a note here. It's both the fallen angel and the snake in the gardens. That's excellent wording there. Yep. Uh, the other aspect though is that the defiler worm is the the one that doesn't have to do anything to corrupt you. That's the most important aspect. Yes, it could come around with a bag of money, a million dollars, and what have you, but it's interesting how the road to power sometimes is to do nothing in a situation that allows someone to seize the reins of power and move forward to themselves. It is always to a theme. It's a great quote. The, uh, the, only, the best way for evil to exist in the world is for good people to do nothing. Absolutely. And uh, what's another face, though, Nick? This um, may be the most famously heard of, but not really known. Well, it's... Uh... It's a face of consumption known as the eater of souls and not just consumption like, you know, in the old West consumption, but we're talking about the consuming power of the worm. Uh, and it, it's kind of like the, the weaver side of it, right? This is the part that eats its own tail. This is the, uh, the part that feeds on everything that is uh, decaying and dying in the world. Uh, all the rot and, and disease and everything like that is what feeds this entity. So when we hearken back to the stories of the Native Americans in the Pure Lands and the tribes there and what they faced and what fed this aspect of the worm so much that it was able to manifest on the earth, we only need to see, say, blankets. That's a, that's a terrible point. I'm <laughs> not saying that it's a terrible as in bad, shame on you, but that's very dark. Yeah. Uh, the the other aspect of this, and, and the big piece that I want you to miss out, is when you think of that tribe deciding it knew what it was dealing with, and had to put this powerful entity down, why did the guru not move when they made aware of what they were facing? And, and, and Were they even aware? Correct. And you owe everything to the defiler worm. Remember that worm down in the well who told Pentex? Remember he came by and said, <laughs> there's oil down in that well. And, and the worm said, <laughs> so there is. And I will give you syphilis. 
<laughs> and let you leave to explore what that is with all your riches if you give me Pentex, right? We made that joke. I'm going to continue to use that joke, but here's how the worm plays the long game, right? Pentex is what he's made there out of an oil man, right? Drink a milkshake, if I might add. And uh, it goes on to do such evil and dark things. But before all that rolling around, you had the Eater of Souls, but the Defiler Worm was still there. Because if you remember, the guru who came across the, the Great Ice Bridge uh, following where the, where the pure went, um, they came over here with intentions of exploring a new land, you know, frontierism, all that that came in, and had no idea of what was really here. It is those in the pure lands who saw that there were powerful banes that came seemingly out of nowhere, and they had to face these things and fight these things and didn't know what it, what, what it was. Yep. Remember, Nick just said, the, the Eater of Souls is like the aspect of the Weaver, right? There's a, there's, a, there's a method to the madness here. That which has an end date, it's removing, right? Or, or as he put it, waning health. If you have a final end point, typically you would just wait till that end point comes along because you're built that way. The Weaver did that. The opposite of that would be to cut you before your time, right? To consume you, to take that energy. Yeah. And that's what the Eater of Souls was all about. So over in fighting that and facing that, they only knew it was super powerful that anything they threw at it it's just gulping down. And here's the amazing thing of that sacrifice. They were aware they were only putting it asleep. Yep. Why? They like a, like a Thanksgiving turkey dinner. They were going to feed it all and then some, and then hopefully it never <laughs> comes back again. Right? That's it's all gonna, they had. They're going to give it the itis. Right. What choice did they have when you're like, hey, <laughs> hey, uh, you know, brethren tribes, you want to want to help out? And they're like, nah, we got our own problems. We're trying to deal with all this other stuff. Uh, well, I guess it's us. Great turtle. What do you think? I have a show. Gulp choke on it right that's, that's, that's more what she had now it's me dumbing down a great thing because we're not there yet we'll leave glory telling there but to me that makes the eater of souls uh insidious that's a terrible choice nobody will stand with us and they don't even fully know what it is i don't even fully know what it is but everything we say says this is the end of us if we don't do something now well if it's not us and then they set an example for everyone uh, of the tribes that this is what it takes to defend gaia yep a great reminder of what you are. Nick, take us home. So uh, at the end of it, there's the, the wild expression of the worm, which is calamity or the beast of war. Um, you may be thinking to yourself, where, where do I see this? Uh, you see it everywhere. You see it on the back of a vampire. You see it in your, in your tribe as a guru. Rage is the manifestation of the beast of war. It's already tainted you. It's, that's a mic drop. <laughs> it's in your vampires it's in your werewolves it's in every soldier who's gone too far and committed atrocities of war it's it's in it's in period war probably and and without question it's that urge that someone dies so you may live and no matter what and that's uh yeah, yeah that's that that's what it does so it, and, it, it begs the idea that when gaia created the guru to to be her her tools her defense mechanisms the beast of war the worm tainted it on that day to carry out its own aspects. It injected that, that rage in it. Now that's where I'm going to disagree. I think Gaia was brilliant. And what she did, she took all three aspects of the uh, primordials that existed, right? Worm, weaver, and wild. So the weaver we know was the human form. We know the wild's the lupus form, right? The embodiment of that rage that it needs to fight what it needs to, that's Kronos. That's the middle ground. She gave them that rage because their primordial and their purity, their primal forces that they represent, they're fine. They served a balanced function. The worm, the defiler worm, that is, that aspect of it gets it out of whack when they fall to the worm in frenzy. So you're Remember saying that. it's only it's only going to be when they hit thrall of the worm that they're that they're you, the worm. But up until then, it's all guy in frenzy. 
Right. That it's, I'm not saying it's not an aspect of the rage. Rage is a power. But remember, the worm was the great renewer when everything was hunky-dory. When everything was good, the worm served a function. It was okay. No one said it wasn't powerful. No one said it didn't end things. That was its function. That's what it does. So that's what it was meant to be. It does the others to play its game. It's trapped. It's maddened. It's trying to play the end game in a win now at this point. And that's, that's the issue. And so I always felt that Werewolf was the embodiment of all three, which made it an interesting thing. That's why the tribes, as we go through the tribe books, you'll see they have different ways of viewing these different aspects, mm-hmm. right? There's even, uh, they, they have specific book of the weaver. You know, this is the book of the worm. There is a book of the wild. You'll, they'll get even more in depth into what these things are, where they come from, but those are primordial energies. They don't need a reason to exist. It's the interpretation of the werewolves you're hearing written in the books of what all this means. And I'm free to have the decision. I'm not saying you're wrong as in Nick. Nick's wrong. I can't believe he said that. And we're recording it. No, Nick's opinion is valid. He can say he can have that. We're really discussing a complex idea. Yeah. And I'm saying all three are in one and pure. Uh, it, it's, 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 it's interesting, right? Because like uh, to, to try and uh, try and bounce that back, what, you, what sounds like you're saying is that um, that rage is just inherent. And where the aspect of the beast of war comes in is when the rage becomes all encompassing. It's pushing it over the edge. Right. Into Thrall the Worm. Correct. Right. Because remember with Thraldom, if you ever thought it was weird, you know, why does the lupus act that way when it's in Thraldom? Why does the Haman do that and all that? That's actually aspects of the Defiler Worm while you're in throws to the Beast of War. Mm. That's both running rampant on what you have going on and why it's so horrible. And uh, that's that's how I always saw it. Now, feel free to challenge that. I won't lose sleep over it. I rather like the interpretation <laughs> myself to say it. It matters. I'd love to discuss it further with anybody. Uh, but rolling on, though. How does the worm do all this? That should be the most important question. If the worm has these three facets, how does it do all the things it does? You know, what's directing and what's the deal? That comes down to urges. There are things called urge worms, right? These are base emotions that are felt and none of them good. There's always, there's an aspect of the worm that is um, in charge of fueling these urges out. And in turn, they put very specific, um, well, they call them urge worms in charge of this stuff. Yep. And uh, to see it fueled. And uh, just, we're going to do Nick's uh, top three. No, there's a lot more than three, but I'm going to let him go through that uh, just to be fair. But remember, many more than this, we're just going to explain these three. Um, yeah. So you got to remember these, uh, these urge worms are just primal emotions, almost like epiphs. Um, but specifically on these primal, powerful energies. So ones I like that we see every day, um, the urge of greed. Of course, rampant materialism. If we haven't seen this in effect in our daily lives through chaotic capitalism, I don't know. I, I don't even know where if we're on the same planet anymore. Um, I like the urge of desire. I, I know it, it sounds kind of kind of messed up, but the idea that anything that you ever desire is just twisted and uh, and and turned into unfulfilled desire, which burns into hatred and and just runs right into the next one, uh, and then. The urge of apathy. I'd, I'd explain it to you, but honestly, it's not my problem. <laughs> it's, not <laughs> it's a great way of putting it. Um, now, the urge of apathy is, of course, Latharg. And, and what's important and why I'm mentioning the name of them, they each have a name. They do. This is very cool. This is very cool. It lets you know exactly who governs it. The urge to, to summon or to contact or what have you that is sort of puppeteering, seeing that this is going along a very planned thing and you put someone in charge, they're going to do well with it. It's uh, it's insidious. Um, you may be thinking, okay, well, if it did all the bad emotions then what about the environmental? Yep. Mm-hmm. There are elemental worms as well. 
uh, that cover everything from smog to sludge to toxins, balefire. They all have an aspect of, de- of destruction on an environmental level. And that spiritual representation is there. Literally, the worm is everything. Yeah, and these are these are elementals on the same level as like earth, wind, and fire. <laughs> <laughs> they may even harmonize better. We don't know. We haven't yeah. heard them in concert. That's a that's a thing. Now, <laughs> last chapter is fun. Um, where where it's last in depth chapter we're going over is four. Chapter five. I'm going to tell you get this book if you hadn't got it already. We would not have wasted. Uh, podcast after podcast going over, which I will yeah. let me take that word back. Wasted. We would not have done those if we didn't feel this was a great book. Let me put it that way. Um, not a waste at all. Uh, but what we're saying is, is that this is not necessarily worthy of you guys hearing us quote stats out of a book, right? This is definitely what it is. But they do have Black Spiral Dancer totems. They have them written right in here for you. So you can have the total package for your Black Spiral. Yep. Um, in here, uh, it shows that Great Banes become totems as well as ideals like the Green Dragon as uh, one of my favorites that is in here or the bat that is commonly used as well uh, for black sparrows as a whole. <laughs> oh, the, the bat is great. I, I hadn't read the bat previously, but it basically sounds like Bruce Wayne is just a black spiral dancer. Who's got the bat <laughs> as his totem because it's all about intimidating people and, and, you know, putting fear in their hearts before you slay them. <laughs> it is uh, interesting. <laughs> uh, Kiriyama is another name to note in there. Uh, dancing around i felt that that's a little easter egg of you know the hidden foe hmm mm-hmm. sounds a little too uh shadow lord to me certain totem and him have a little too close in common i feel uh but I'll, I'll get skinned for that i imagine at some point but to roll on forward as we're talking about the worms we also have for mori remember these are the the mortals who are well lack of a better term become possessed mutate yep uh from influences of a bane it becomes something altogether different and not all of them but they name a couple here um to give an example, there is a Ferectoy, simply the larva of the worm. Now, why they're called that is because there's a very morbid process to make these entities. And uh, I won't get into it, but you got to read it. Uh, it's one I'm not even comfortable airing in a recording that it came out of my mouth, just because it's a little too uh, dicey. We'll just put it that way. Uh, but a Ferectoy is uh, basically hierarchy like Princeton. It's almost as if it's the worm's direct son uh, that gets to walk around and, and form its function. So you can imagine it's quite powerful. Yep. Um, I like the term superhuman. Uh, that's what a lot of the powers of the worm should be, but whatever powers it has, it's easily hidden. That's not the case typically with a Fomori out of the box, right? And remember, who's making Fomori? Pentax! And it's it's many facets, right? All sorts of products you could do that a Bane latches onto and you become something, but imagine mutating and you get a third head and you can't put it anywhere. There's no way it ever hides. Well, <laughs> you're welcome to the freak show. How and come we're not the- even talking about the second head, Bob? Which is already what? on the third. Right, exactly. We're skipping. One's, one's playing Jimmy Cricket. The other one's trying to tell me who to kill and how to live, right? I don't know. Uh, whatever you want to do, two heads are, are frightening, three are just done. Uh, but yeah. those are mutation possibilities, and that's what the Fomori lives are about. Um, I enjoy monsters. I'd say above all else with Werewolf, one of the coolest aspects. And, and yes, it's because I'm a horror fan, but monsters are great. They got a bunch that are really good in this book. They got weird ones like the, the Vujunka. Um, Bob, what are those? Imagine worms with no eyes, solid teeth, wearing cultish clothes, walking in the deepest parts of the earth mm-hmm. that don't talk. They like mentally communicate with you, right? That's it's a weird sort of psychic thing they're doing as they're roaming about the, the labyrinth. And by the way, if you ever want to mess with Nosferatu, I've done it. These guys do the job. Easy. Didn't even attack anybody. Just did a trade for a book and a certain person who was left alone in the dark. That's all that was required. Oh. And, uh, the weirdest part is that they craft things out of their own sauce. 
right? Like they uh, they produce a protoplasm that they somehow can like turn into weird things. Oh, just weird. It's it's a weird character. We know about thunderworms. We mentioned that with the uh, uh, the grandma itself is a thunderworm. Yep. This mentions them in the minor form, not as her, but still 50 feet monsters that swallow things whole. Most important in here, though, is the first running. Do yourself a favor. If you want some good idea of how the worm really gets to people and really does a great job of making it, read about the first running. It is a, it is a story that I think uh, we, we talked about briefly. I myself blathered about it. But this I, is the book that you will find that story in. Well, there's a, it's in another book, too. I just don't remember which one. Uh, is Maybe it's like uh, in a later edition. I don't remember, but it, it does go into, into some pretty saucy detail about it. it it's a classic story. Do read. A, a haunting aspect of it, just to wet your whistle, is that its victims see their names written in its tattooed flesh. Yes. And the day they die, which happens to be today. Well, right. Well done. <laughs> well done, is what I'll say to that. Um, rolling on, it does mention Banes. Banes do have their own Dark Lords that are infamous, of course, in power and otherwise. And there are almost everything under the sun. Uh, my favorite, I'll mention, and Nick will throw his out, but mine's Lady Aeth. That's the Caliph of Pain. Um, I like the aspect of this, uh, this femme fatale-seeming master of just sadism uh, that's there breaking people who believe that they could endure or that she, she doesn't know what she's doing in an aspect. Um, I often get that feel from it. It's a very dark role and someone I would never, ever want to encounter if I came across uh, Malpheus at all. And I say that because I've had her used in a game where an aspect of a servant uh, was all we found. And reading the book, my brother ran that game. He did a great job at, at freaking me out with a little bit of drawing and a little bit of illusion as a, and alluding to things that he didn't actually directly state happen. That made you, it, it was, it was great. It was, it was really good to do. And that's my recommendation of how I'd use Melogen at all. If you're going to never hmm. have them be an encounter, but aspects of them. Wow. Those, those can be done really well. Yeah. I, you'd almost want to do that. I mean, the only place where you're going to find these manifestations is going to be, in uh in malpheus for the most part if you get them outside malpheus you done f- up <laughs> seriously for everybody the things are really bad <laughs> when, it, when that happens and comes down and uh that's that's just about that um of course it gets into items naturally we told you about two of them ahead of time because i couldn't wait you had to hear about mr mystic uh it's uh it's arguably one of my favorite action bills combat badges in here too um there's there's a ton of good stuff that's fun, almost comic book esque reading material to go through and enjoy and go, man, that's that's going to be fun to have for players or STs. I say that because uh, if you're a player and someone something you got to take care of is a kid and you see that doll, Mister Mystic, sitting on the shelf at the police station as being what was in the kid's hands when he got arrested, I fully expect the player to go, damn it. <laughs> I know it is a cameo appearance, right? Yeah, it's a good thing. A lot of fun, a lot of fun, but. As I said, it's a book. I love it, Nick. What do you think of this book? Uh, I mean, it's an amazing book, and it's just the it's just the start where we start to wet our whistle on the taint of the worm. Absolutely, absolutely. It's a, what an odd way to put it. All right, folks. <laughs> uh, thanks for listening to this long. I know we had three long recordings for it, but it's of course for your pleasure and enjoyment. We hope we gave you some insight. Uh, we definitely hope you share our enthusiasm about this book and get you to relook at maybe Werewolf a little differently uh, than what you're used to. Or if you're like me, you played it when you were younger and coming back with a more mature eye, there's definitely more depth that you can add to it from going and reading the book through maybe what was originally intended. Uh, I, of course, think thank you, man, as always. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm super enthused to be here. 
That's he's going to do that every time, folks. Um, I'm going to leave now. Have a good one, folks. Thanks. Thank you for listening to our 25 years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast. If you liked what you heard, please reach out and let us know on Twitter at 25 years of VTM at our email info at 25 years VTM.com on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash 25 years VTM or on our website www.25yearsvtm.com If you would like to support us, we can be found at patreon.com slash 25 years of Vampire the Masquerade.